Hey everyone, welcome back to The Visitors Might Be Listening, the exciting podcast hosted by thepostwriter.com, and well, actually it's hosted by me, Lewis Ryan. Thank you all for joining. Um, we're back again talking about more science fiction-y goodness in the middle of our season talking about the Planet of the Apes movies, and we've hit an interesting point where we've covered all the 1970s entries, and now we're jumping into the 21st century, a lot of people's favorite century, and we're going to be discussing the uh, single, solitary, unique entry that is Tim Burton's 2001 uh, reboot remake of Planet of the Apes, and it'll be very exciting, I'm sure. Um, I can't wait to hear all of our thoughts about it, uh, especially mine. Um, <laughs> And I have my two co-hosts, my two co-pilots that were in the uh, crashing shuttle with me today. Um, I'll start off by introducing Mr. Mike Levito. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to see that we're all fully clothed because if the if this movie is any indication, six years from now, everybody will be making video messages shirtless. <laughs> I don't know what your websites you're going to. Do, I see plenty of shirtless people. Chris, Chris Chobin, my other uh, co-host. Chris, how are you doing today? Lewis, uh, we are the canaries, and this film is the coal mine. <laughs> I, I'm feeling good, but God, was this a strange one? Uh, yes, it certainly was. Um, quick show of hands, I guess. Uh, how many of us have actually seen this film before? I, I have not. I, I, I have like a vague recollection of this is one of those movies that my parents would just rent from the store without like any idea what it was and then we would watch it and like this is definitely the ones where we kind of ended up sitting in silence because eventually it got weird and boring but like I was watching a movie so I might as well so I have like I have very vivid recollections of uh, the the woman ape in this movie and how uh, for some reason, I got it in my head that that was played by Michael Jackson's sister. Um, and I was like, God, that looks a lot like Michael Jackson. Like, <laughs> uh. It's funny. I was thinking um, the same thing about Michael Jackson, even though I knew Janet Jackson was not playing her. I knew it existed. My only real recollection is I remember like, very vividly seeing like subway ads for it, like my family going to the theater being mm. subway ads for it, yeah. and me being confused because... The, the helmets on uh, that the, the ape soldiers wear has this mm -hmm. kind of either, depending on your perspective, snail shell or ram horn design. And mm -hmm. it reminded me of the then St. Louis Rams' helmet, who were, of course, <laughs> like one of the best football teams in the world at that point. So I was like, why are these apes playing football? It makes no sense. <laughs> to me. Well, look, they dominate the fields, depending on, on how they're flying around in this movie mentioned this this was directed by tim burton and uh, my icebreaker was relatively easy this week because i thought i'd go around and ask because i feel like a lot of people our age whether um, intentionally or not they've ended up seeing a lot of tim burton's films so i feel like this might be interesting to ask uh what's your uh, favorite tim burton movie if you have one chris uh, i'll start with you what's your favorite I, this would be a hard one but the uh the blank check podcast has been running through those movies um and I listened back to them when they ran through them a super long time ago, actually, now that I think about it. Um, and I think it's Mars Attacks that, like, it's just so weird and so kitschy and 
so like kill off a character that you think is going to be the main character immediately. Um, and I've watched it so many times just because it was on Comedy Central so often, or maybe it was HBO. Um, yeah, I think that's the one I have the most sort of wild nostalgia for. Yeah, that's my choice. What about you, Mike? I would probably say Batman Returns. Yeah, it, it, it's the... I, had, I hadn't seen Batman Returns until last year when I was watching all the Batman movies in preparation for The Batman. Um, oh. And what I think Batman Returns and The Batman shares, they kind of like dive deep. At least in Batman Returns, it's, it's with a little bit more of kind of like a wink and, and some camp. The sort of like mm-hmm. psychosexual undertones of Batman, right? Uh. Um, you know, Catwoman saying the idea of bat, the idea of busting Batman makes me feel all dirty. It's like, well, okay, like, um, but it, it's this great sort of like goth temper tantrum railing against neglectful '80s parenting is my interpretation of it, and uh, it's incredibly entertaining. Danny DeVito as the Penguin, inspired casting, inspired performance. The, 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 and the movie new movie did it right by making uh, the Joker gr- or making the Penguin gross because that's the most important thing we've learned about him. I think I'm gonna go with Beetlejuice. Um, Don't say it twice. <laughs> yeah, I won't say it anymore. Um, uh, great film. Michael Keaton's great. Alf Baldwin's great. Um, such an interesting look at uh, you know life in the 1980s. The contrast between yuppies and like middle America, and also just a great take on like what if. Uh, the underworld was run like a corporate bureaucracy, um, which I always found really funny. It's interesting looking back on Tim Burton. It's like a lot of his great strengths were as like a comedic director. Because you look at Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice and like even Mars Attacks, they're all like really funny. But like you don't think of when people think of Tim Burton, they usually think of him as like an artist or a visionary. D- so dour and like you know like a brooding. When in fact so often his best movies are a dour and brooding character being f- made fun of for being dour and brooding. Yeah. yeah. The well, contrast, sort of. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. He's, he's kind of like, um, I'm trying to think, it, it's like he's he's more like spooky than scary, right? Um, it's like macabre. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't realize he didn't actually direct Nightmare Before Christmas, he just wrote it. Um, yeah, it was, uh, well, no, not even that, it's, it's Henry Selleck, it's that like uh, Henry Selleck could only get anything made if it had his name on it. So despite Henry Selleck basically doing ninety percent of the work on that and James and the Giant Peach and like basically all the other animated movies you think he was associated with, it was just uh, a, a way for uh, Henry Selleck to be able to get it made. Yeah, but uh, but but to your point, Lewis, like this movie, and we'll get into it more, is an odd choice for Tim Burton and not one I would have made if I were him. This this feels like the first step down the path of Tim Burton doesn't know what to do, so they just hand him an IP. Like this, like uh, Alice in Wonderland is sort of the other version of this. That like, uh, okay, I have this movie. I'll go watch the old movies. I'll make a version of that movie which is more Tim Burtony. But then I kind of won't have. I don't. I like. I won't be able to say anything about it. Like I, I won't have a take. And that that sort of seemed to be the, this movie in a nutshell. Yeah, well, it's interesting looking at that uh, that time period because, like, it's like you have a property like Planet of the Apes, and it's like you want to give it to a hot, hot, you know, quote unquote director. And you know, Tim Burton mm-hmm. was like on a hot streak in the '90s. Mm-hmm. He had like a good ten year period of delivering some really, you know, quality movies. You know, he did Batman, you know, which is like an IP. No one, you know, you wouldn't think twice about like, oh, you know, because we've we've seen Batman, 
you know, and it was 30 years ago, you wouldn't think like, oh, hand Batman to Tim Burton because nobody knew who Tim Burton was really at the time. Well, they, they at least from what the from what Blank Check was going off of is that they kind of handed it to him because back then Batman was just a comic book thing. Like, you know, what I'm saying that it was like no one like this idea of like dark and brooding being like what we know Batman as like everyone back then knew it as the uh, the television series, the, the sort of slapstick sort of thing. So the idea that like he basically made the modern comic book blockbuster like that was like I don't know, and that's like that was the blank check that at least sort of guided him through the next like decade and a half, including this movie. Um, yeah, and it, it's sort of like uh, Tim Burton, you know, revital or you know reignited the comic book genre, led to a whole slew of films trying to copy Batman's success, and you know mm. I guess they were hoping that he would do the similar thing with Planet of the Apes. So I was gonna go around and ask you guys like, what do you think like some hallmarks of Tim Burton's style is as like a director and i think we Mm -hmm. already sort of hit on it with like visual darkness like some humor like contrasting between we've forgotten one very important element what is that his his lover to wife to ex-fiance helena bottom carter which is a prominent part of this film as well that that is a great point is this the first film they did together i think it is She's definitely not in either of the Batmans. I'm pretty sure she's not in Edward Scissorhands. Can anyone name the film that Tim Burton did right before this? For well, I'm looking, at, I'm, looking at it, I'm looking at it right now, so yes, I can. Is, is it Big Fish? No, he did that right after this, which was also oh. produced by uh, Richard Zanuck. So in some ways, if you're a fan of Big Fish, you have plenty of the apes to thank for that, for like <laughs> bringing them together. <laughs> was, was, no, Mar, Mars Dax was right before this, wasn't it? It was before this, but it wasn't the film he did right before this. It's a film I'm convinced yeah. no one has actually what seen. What is the movie? Sleepy Hollow. Oh Johnny right. Depp. Yeah, they were they were they were like the blank check was talking about sort of how good it was that it was like it was it was quite entertaining despite having no one really going to see it. I I I have seen this movie, but I saw it on a motion smooth TV while a little buzzed. So <laughs> I, I really could not give you say anything substantial about it outside of it, it was fun. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You you got the gist. It, it's I think it's the only uh, non Star Wars movie I've ever seen starring Ian McDiarmid. Of <laughs> yeah, the only uh, the only other thing that I think they noted that was important is that uh, they actually made the like main character guy kind of a coward, which was pretty interesting, especially in that era of t- of like movies to like not have him be like as in this movie, just like immediately kind of like uh, like basically a hero person. Yeah, but but to your point, Lewis, about sort of like the hallmarks of a Tim Burton movie, like one thing that. I think of him, and maybe this is a little unfair, but it's like, I can see why his style was kind of exciting and innovative mm-hmm. and interesting in the 80s and 90s, right? Where it was mm-hmm. this kind of outsider take on, I guess you could say, like, American suburbia primarily, right? Especially in Beetlejuice mm-hmm. um, and Edward Scissorhands, right? It was kind of an alternative voice. But I think over the years, it kind of developed into, like, a this this more kind of like theatrical like theater kid kind of like almost kind of like gaudy and like campy but but not affected but like not as funny anymore um mm. camp that took itself too seriously yeah i don't know it just like i because i think it's just 
I don't know. This is not going to be very helpful, but it's like we all grew up in like the mid 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like the kind of kid who was just super into like Johnny Depp and Pirates of the Caribbean. Right? Exactly. I, yeah. I imagine them being a fan of also like Sweeney Todd and Niles Wonderland for obvious reasons. But it's just mm-hmm. like that sort of like it's it, it's almost kind of like a it's like theater goth is kind of what I would describe it as. Perfect. And it worked yeah. in the nineties because mm-hmm. it was a little less. I think I think in a way you know not having these kind of like maybe not having quite as much money to work with or just ha- working like a more sort of like relatively naturalistic sort of milieu helps aesthetic stand out. Um, also, none of these things, I think, have anything to do with Planet of the Apes, which is why I think it's such a weird choice for him because there's really like nothing goth about it. It's, 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 it has a kind of like quasi-medieval uh, production design. And I don't think of God, do they run with it. And outside of Mars Attacks, I don't really think of him as a sci-fi guy. I think of him more of like a fantasy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. He's, he, he's already chosen an era, and that's Victorian sad. Like, you, you can't, but, like... But the thing uh, is, yeah. that he didn't even choose that really until after this movie, right? Fair, It's fair. like, I Sleepy Hollow, I guess, maybe, but this really is technically not Victorian, but, like, I get what you mean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest, of the, the rest of these movies took place in either, like, contemporary America or the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as usual, Mike's it's getting a- ahead of me. Um, I was going to... Have you guys bring up all the hallmarks of Tim Burton style just so I could say I don't really think this film employs any of them no. really oh. other than the existence of Helena Bonham Carter. Like, yeah. To the, me, this really didn't feel like a Tim Burton movie. This could have been directed by anybody. Exactly. I just I distinctly disagree. I think uh, that it, it doesn't come out as heavily as in other movies, but like, okay, first off, Helen Bonham Carter. Uh, I think the apes themselves, like the the size differential and like the how big they are literally like this like some of the orangutan and stuff like i think that that's like that the apes are each individually so different to one another i think that that there's a bit of tim burton in there the army camps especially like the army tents are these like weird like sleek little red like they loom over you like they're really that that the army camp is uh uh, is is his style to a T. Um, and then, like, the armor to a lesser extent. But that th- there's, like, a little bit. There's not enough to be, like, this is a Tim Burton movie, but, like, there's definitely things that, like, Tim Burton did automatically that, like, some other director would be like, no, just make them just make them normal tense. What are we doing here? Uh, I guess I'm going to have to just agree to disagree because none of that okay. really yeah. stood out to me as super Tim Burton-y. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we've talked about the director, and uh, I, gu- I guess we should just so- sort of quickly say, like, our broad strokes impressions of this movie. Mike, would you want to start about how you reacted to this? Um, I Production value, it, like, incredible. Like, th- like, the makeup is actually very good. Um, effects are fine, you know? I-, I don't think there's too much to complain about, especially when you sort of adjust for the time period. Um but just from a story perspective and frankly from an acting perspective it's 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 kind of just pointless and not good and i didn't like absolutely hate it but like i also like didn't particularly enjoy it like i it 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 felt like it really didn't understand the source material and we'll talk yeah. about that more but it just it just it was it was a uh, went over like a lead balloon for me 
I think it helps that this is kind of my second time watching it, that uh, the first time was me trying to make sense of it, and that this time I just sort of let it washed over me to a certain extent. I, yeah, I think aesthetically there's a lot to like. Uh, I think some of the actors do an amazing job. I, Marky Mark was better than I remember, not in, at giving a shit about the characters, but that, like, as soon as he says something, you believe him, even though, like, the the whole narrative hasn't built up to him giving a shit about whatever it is, but it's like, hey, kid, get, get behind the fucking uh, starship, man. Like, oh, why does he give a shit about the kid? I guess he, like, interacted with him twice, but, like, you trust that Marky Mark wants the kid behind the ship so he's safe. Um, but that overall... Uh, it was mostly, yeah, I, I fell asleep halfway through and had to rewatch the last hour. I think it's the best descriptor of what I could, what, what happens. Uh, yeah, and we, we can get into the specifics once we get to those. I, I like to, you know, approach films, you know, with an open mind. You know, some I've heard people say like, oh, you know, it wasn't very good, Tim Burton's version. So, but, you know, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I'll give it a chance. It's just one movie, two hours. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it'll surprise me. I like watching you know, films from a bygone era now. This is over 20 years old, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> so I was incredibly disappointed by this. Like, just like a notch below, like, hatred, where it's like I can <laughs> work myself into, like, a tizzy about it, you know, because it's like it's over, it's done. But it is just mm-hmm. like, this was like a massive waste of time and potential, and I found it incredibly boring for the most part. It, which, it, uh, and it, oh, sorry, go you know, get in front of just you. led to, you know, my massive disappointment. This is like mm-hmm. the most, you know, I mean, we, Mike and I have another podcast where we review bad <laughs> movies. So it's like, I have yeah. this podcast, you know, review like good stuff. Mm-hmm. So like when I watch this, it's just like, it, I was like rising towards like anger, sort of like, just I'm like wasting my time. Yeah. Mm. The, I, I, I no, remembering how much it sort of went over badly the first time I was prepared a little bit more. And I think the, the nice thing is it's sort of three steps away from a good movie so that anytime you're like, well, if they would have fixed this, you could just be like, well, they didn't fix 15 other things. So, like, that's not going to make the difference. You know what I'm saying? It's like the things they're missing are the plot, the characters. <laughs> and like, just like Any interaction between those two things. Yeah, yeah no. The, a message point. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about the production design, because that's one thing that you guys both mentioned. And Chris, mm-hmm. I'm glad you're here, because um, you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you went to the London School of Economics? Sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, as, we, as we've been talking about these past few weeks, the budget for the uh, previous Planet of the Apes movie, the budget for a battle for the Planet of the mm-hmm. Apes was uh, $1.4 million. So um, yeah. the budget for this movie was reported to be $100 million. So, Chris, I wanted to ask you, is this a significant increase in terms of the budget? I, I, I believe by uh, 100%, if I'm doing my math correctly. But what if you adjust for inflation? I mean, that is the question. Well, the other, the other side of it is, how much of the stuff they used in that last movie did they already have from the previous six movies or whatever? Like, uh, and all, all that sort of stuff. And that nowadays... Uh, that the the movie companies will never let any single movie like they won't have the savings be on the film that they'll have the savings be they'll like I was like oh well you have to rent that from us and we'll charge you some immense amount of money um, so that I would be 
I would. I, I feel like that it's it's only an eighty percent rise in budget, and then with inflation, it's only a seventy percent rise in budget. But still, it's seventy percent more money. Uh, it's it's millions upon millions, and uh, whew, they they made this thing look two thousands as fuck. Yeah. So th- this is definitely a significant increase in terms of the production values. But mm-hmm. I have to say, in my personal opinion, I was kind of like less than impressed. Because, like, while you can certainly see, like, the money being spent on screen, it was, like, it was better in, like, the most superficial way possible. Like, mm. the uh, the ship at the beginning, you know, was yeah, big. The CGI ship. Yeah. It was big and white. You know, it was clean. Mm-hmm. And it, like... That's what, that's what we thought we were doing in the 2000s, is just, like, living in a sterile environment. Am, am, I, am I wrong, Mike? Did, did you think, like, wow, look at it, you know, like, everything in the, the movie was, like... Uh, did it leave an impression on you, or was it just gloss over? I was. I, I thought the makeup was very good. Like, like I, I will mm-hmm. say that I thought it was, you know, it really well applied <laughs> from from what I could tell. No, I, I thought mm-hmm. you know it, it did give the actors playing the apes like room to emote, um, mm-hmm. and and looked relatively seamless as well. I thought that was good. I. I th- it's funny, I when they were kind of in, like, the ape city or whatever they call it in this movie, like, I was like, oh, this mm. is, I, like, I, I did find, like, the idea of it being more of kind of, like, a feudal medieval society kind of interesting, um, and I found some of that production design kind of interesting, um, but, like, once it got, once they sort of ventured out looking for, like, the ruins and they were back in, like, the desert, I was like, well, what this movie, mm. like, do, like it, it reminded me of how much I preferred the visuals of like the original Planet of the Apes in particular, mm-hmm. right? Actually, the, showing you the vistas. Yeah, the, the wide open spaces, just like the really, um, frankly, like what I people laugh at me when I say this about Planet of the Apes, but like the what I think is the beautiful cinematography of it. Like, yeah. um, I I found myself missing that a lot. So yeah, there was something that felt a little impressive for sure, but but I think empty in a lot of ways as well. So, like, the makeup, I I agree with you. Like, on a certain level, it is, like, better than the uh, original version. But, like, I felt like something, like, was wrong with it. Like, the way they made the apes look, it, I guess it was, like, maybe beto- too much between, like, a human and an ape is kind of approaching, like, the uncanny valley for me. And I also thought mm-hmm. it was, like, really annoying how, like, for a lot of the actors, it, like, gave them, like, lisps. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, in the original version, you didn't get that so much. I mean, I, I think part of the problem, too, is just that, like, it doesn't help that the actors are, to be honest, just, like, worse. Like, I, like, I, I, like I've like i liked Helena Bonham Carter and Tim Roth and other things. Well, I, well mm-hmm. let, let, let's, let's go through our cast. Okay. Let's, mm-hmm. let's start with our leading man, sure. Mr. Uh, Mocky Mock! Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Mike, what do, you, what do you have to say about Mark Wahlberg? In general or in this movie? Well, I'm both. I, I, I've... It's... I feel like there are some people who are like, oh, he's really cool, and some people don't like him at all. I have enjoyed him in things like The Departed and Boogie Nights. Um, I did not like him in this movie. I thought he was pretty bad. I thought yeah. there was very little substance between behind anything he was saying. I, it, like it, it, it really just felt like somebody doing a Mark Wahlberg impression to me. <laughs> it's sort of like yeah. wide-eyed, like... You gotta, you gotta learn your flight sequence, Pericles. Kind of like, you know, thing uh, that that people like if you're doing a Mark Wahlberg impression that people do. So I, mm-hmm. he didn't work for me, and like he also, there, 
it, it's hard, right? Because there aren't really any actors like Charlton Heston left, and there weren't mm-hmm. in 2001 either, where he has this... Actually, uh, the dying father ape was playing by Charlton I, Heston. I, yeah, I know. I know. Was, I know. Uh, okay. But I guess you're right. that He that he, yeah. he couldn't play the young buck anymore. Yeah. yeah. And I guess my point is, is that like Mark Wahlberg, he almost felt too normal, right? Like yeah. Charlton Heston was like, he's like, you know, sort of like handsome and cut and like, uh, you know, sort of like, you know, a sword and sandal hero. But there's also something like a little weird about him. Yeah. And, and the, not, the, the fact that he was able to play like a total asshole in the first movie, and you still like cared, you still cared about him. Yeah, whereas Wahlberg is just like generic, like a military guy. But like, yeah, well, it's like Charlton Heston's character like had a distinct point of view. Yeah, that you mm-hmm. could gravitate towards. Like in this movie, yeah. you're really given nothing. Yeah, in, in my opinion, like I was like, mm-hmm. what is his character? What is his motivation? What is he trying to do? Like I was honestly shocked. <laughs> Like, he's I trying to get to honestly, his ga- his ape guys. Come on. <laughs> like point for point, I think he might have like less dialogue than Charlton Heston in the first one. Oh, oh like, certainly. I wouldn't be shocked at all. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. and like Charlton Heston, like he can't speak in that movie because like <laughs> he got, his throat got damaged. Like in this movie, he's just like yeah. not talking. And I'm like, why aren't you saying anything? It's like the other humans can talk too in this version yeah. now, yeah. which is also strange. And mm-hmm. it's just like, he's just not saying anything. He's just been captured by the apes, and it's just like, I guess he's just mm-hmm. biding his time, thinking of a strategy, maybe, but, like, we can't tell based on his acting. He's just, like, standing there, his eyebrows are raised. Like, I, I don't know. I wasn't getting anything from him. I, I, at some point, I just defaulted, this is Mark Wahlberg in this world. Like, this, because, like, the, the first problem they did is they said, oh, well, you, you, Mark Wahlberg, need to play a scientist, which he is incapable of playing. Like, it's this, it's the one weird movie where there's, like, uh, the disease in the air. Like, the man cannot play a scientist to save his life. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so that you, you just kind of default to, well, Mark Wahlberg is in this world, and Mark Wahlberg would do these things, so that I guess I'm okay with this. Um, but that, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know, he's... He's like some strange force of nature that he's like, well, we got to get to the ship, guys. Come on. And then, like, just breaks people out. And, like, there's, like, by the end of the movie, there's, like, he has, like, gathered, like, 15 characters around him. And maybe they've had one set of dialogue with Mark Wahlberg. And, like, it's like, what? Why? Like, I, I guess you he did this because he is the center of the film. But, like, no other reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like there's there's nothing to him, and it's like it's true, Chris. Like they they're at they he creates like a whole band of characters, but it's essentially meaningless because we don't know like next to nothing about them. Like they have no camaraderie, no relationship. Nothing interesting is going on with any of them. I'm 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 persuaded that they made Fade into such like a toe curling like completely 100% evil villain because if they made him any nicer he would become the sympathetic person like if, if they gave him a good reason it's like this human shows up and starts murdering our people we have to defend ourselves it's like yeah you're right what the fuck is this Mark Wahlberg doing here I, I, I think you're right Chris I think Thade would have been definitely been more sympathetic if he was written to be more three dimensional and uh, for my money I think Tim Roth did the best out of anyone oh, in terms He's just playing, you know, a villain character to a T, and I was honestly like impressed, like of, uh, like I like I was saying before about the makeup, like him and his acting 
in general. To me, he did like a complete transformation because I was like, that's Tim mm-hmm. Roth. Because like his oh, acting no and idea. his like voice too, I was like, wow, this is yeah. really good. It's, it's like a, a different specific British accent. It's like, oh, okay, okay, Tim Roth. Yeah, I also had no idea it was Tim Roth, and I it was impressed on some level, but I was also like annoyed on another level. <laughs> like, he, he was he was giving me just a little too much. I he. It, it, the, okay. No, I mean, I, I know we're talking no, about no. a movie about talking apes, but like nobody actually talks <laughs> like that, right? Like there were just, it was just like you got, you can't be like this angry all the time. Like it just, mm-hmm. it, it was. It, 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 uh, and I guess to not to spoil the end of the movie that you, but you like the culmination of the movie is well, it was just that one ape's bloodline that was like brutal and killed everyone. All the other apes are nice, or like before the end of the end. Um, so maybe that's what he was going for, and I agree it was like too much. But like, I, I, it felt like a, a deep fried Twinkie in the middle of this movie. That like, if it was like a part of a healthy meal, I would be like, why are you doing this, Tim Roth? But like that he is like this weird oasis in this like sea of boringness. So anytime he's on screen, the fact that he's chewing the scenery was just like helpful to wake me up again. Yeah, I mean, definitely by the second half of the movie, I was a little uh, over over tim roth but i was really enjoying mm. it in like the first half when there was like very little going on that interested <laughs> me. um speaking of which let's talk about helena bottom carter as ari did you guys like this performance this character i like i i i straight out hated this performance like i will be mm-hmm. super it, the, it 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 it's all mugging it's all mm-hmm. it it it's she's just doing way too like I just keep thinking of the scene when they're in the desert and they see, like, the sort of, like, scarecrows. And I was like, oh, why are there scarecrows here? And she's explaining it so that they can keep the humans away from, like, the sacred ruins. And while she's mm-hmm. saying that, she, like, looks through the hole in, like, the rag on the scarecrow. And it's like, like, was this in the blocking? Like, it was just such, <laughs> like, a... I, like, it was so... I, I don't even, I can't even really properly articulate what annoyed me so much about her performance, but she I, I felt like she was never looking a character in the eye for no mm-hmm. good reason. There like mm-hmm. she was kind of like trying to goose her lines with this 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 kind of like uh, profundity and kind of like wit and mystique that was just not there, and I I actually found it incredibly grating. <laughs> Like, I think I remembered liking the aesthetic of her for so long that, like, I was like, oh, I like this character, right? And then eventually by the, like, first third of the movie, he's like, oh, no, never mind. <laughs> like, this is like a, a, a liberal do-gooder who's too annoying to even enjoy. I, I, I wasn't, a, like, angry about it like you were, Mike, but I was just, like, left with, like, virtually no impression. And I was like, this is a boring character and by the time the movie ended i was like wait did they even say what her name was i was like that disinterested and so i, I don't think she, they do because like every character that does know her name knows her knows her very personally her character's name is ari by the way which if you know mark Wahlberg, who created entourage ari <laughs> is an important character on entourage so connections i'm, I'm sorry mark Wahlberg made entourage well, uh, he produces it, right? It's basically oh, okay. him. Vinny Chase is supposed to be like him, and his entourage. Wow. Mark Wahlberg's entourage. It's like based Jesus. On that. that makes so much more sense, it's actually. Why he's in the entourage movie? Good to know. That's why he's like a producer. 
And he's also a producer on Boardwalk Empire, by the way, which is also based on Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> life. But yeah, so that that's Ari. Not really a whole lot there. Uh, character, hopefully, we have a little bit more to talk about. Paul Giamatti as Whoa. Limbo. Mike, Lovely. do you... Playing... Oh, sorry, go I for want, it, Mike. I want to ask you about this, Mike, because to me, on some level, this is incredibly offensive to, like, the Jewish people, but that's also incredibly offensive to like all Italian people as well. So I wanted to get your perspective on this. That that's an interesting way to look at it. Paul G, yeah, he is kind of like um, there. There are a lot of actors who do just seem to play. They're either uh, Jews who play Italians or Italians who play Jews. Even though he's not explicitly playing either in this movie. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. the uh, I think it's called the uh, Alan Alda yeah. algorithm. But uh, yeah, he's he's definitely a bit a bit of a Watto like figure in this movie, I suppose. Um, I like Paul Giamatti in pretty much everything. Um, I think it's interesting that he played this role as kind of like a slave trader, and then also would play a literal slave trader in Twelve Years a Slave. Um, All right, it's good I prep. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't mind him honestly in the first half, but like he got very kind of graded. Like he just got like. Hit like you. He he was kind of they 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 held him along as like comic relief towards the end, and yeah. uh, all of his jokes fell flat. I I was just very excited to see Paul Giamatti and like his ability to line read what is otherwise almost total garbage is uh, deeply impressive to me. Like that like I, I don't think he ever made the jokes funny, but he made them from terrible dialogue into something that might be a joke. Um, and that I was just excited to see him. And, like, it, his uh, orangutan mask, especially, you could, like, see him emote. And, like, even when Paul Giamatti is in a bad movie, he can't help but give a shit. And so, like, I was just, like, really thriving on that. Like, uh, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Paul, that you were made to do this shitty role. But, like, goddamn, are you actually, you're, you're, you're clocking in and doing the work. Yeah, I, I somewhat agree. Um, I feel like, people say like sometimes the best actors play themselves and i feel like paul giamatti is very much playing like like a more exaggerated version of himself in this role it's not like he's doing like deep introspection but he's just like hey i'm paul giamatti you know i'm gonna sell you some humans and come on it was it's very enjoyable to watch but like it wasn't like funny but it's deliberately yeah. meant to be the comedic relief but it was it was just not funny. it was like they took like exactly like they took the worst aspects of like Watto yeah. from the phantom menace <laughs> and Jar Jar Binks from The Phantom Menace, and then they created this character, uh, Limbo, which um, we we didn't really need, or you know, just felt unnecessary because just like it wasn't funny. No, not mm-hmm. Like there's a reason I... George Lucas didn't make Watto the character that tags along. You know, the uh, slave trader stereotype. Uh, guy. You're right. You're right. It's it, the Jewish stereotype shouldn't go along. The 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 black stereotype should go along. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the Asian stereotype they'll be the villain there you go so yeah I mean there's like a whole bunch of other actors in this movie like Marco, Michael Clark Duncan I, uh, well, how do you guys feel about him that's another like playing himself role that it's just kind of him being it like I, I thought he did a pretty good job for what he was handed which was just a lot of like not inane dialogue but sort of like weird stuff that like I, I felt like his relationship with uh, not Caesar, but the the uh, dictator guy. I thought that was pretty good, um, though the ending was a little rushed. Let's say, Levy. I was looking at the poster, and it's like this might be the only time in a 
movie history, we have a poster where it's like Mark Wahlberg, Tim Roth, Helena Bottom Carter, Michael Clark Duncan. It's like it's just a very strange ensemble mm-hmm. that you wouldn't see much nowadays um, in terms of like these are the lead characters, these are the lead actors, and it's just like Michael Clark Duncan is like fine in this movie, which means he's terrible. So it's like mm-hmm. I, I just really don't have a lot to say about him because like there's just nothing going on there. Big big strong guy who plays a big strong guy is not a. It's like the, it's like the same range sort of like as him in uh, Daredevil, right, Mike? Yeah, like he's just there. Yeah, no, I th- I think that's uh, yeah, I think he's really more there for his physical presence than he is for his uh, acting ability in this movie at least. And then uh, I guess the the one last thing to uh, discuss the actor direction, unless you guys have something else, um, is uh, 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 Evan Park uh, who plays Gunner. Uh, uh, who's the only black, like, uh, human, it seems like, and is only given the role of saying all of the lines that it would be weird for a white person to say, um, such as, oh, that's the house human, and, oh, chain him up, uh, uh, and then immediately dies by getting his spine broken, or dies at the end of the movie getting his spine broken, and then... uh, 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 Alesta Warren, who uh, has the classic role of in these movies being the uh, woman in the background that doesn't talk much. Yeah, she, but like her, her role is like actively pointless. Like she, yeah, um, she goes to get the other humans, and that is the only thing she does. Yeah, she, she she's yeah. like the Nova equivalent, sort of, right? Right, but but I feel like Nova, in her lack of dialogue, has much more going yeah, on than she. That, uh-huh. That's what I was. My point was going to be is that oh. she has a hundred percent more dialogue than Nova does, but it's <laughs> so much more pointless and like less of a character mm-hmm. than Nova mm-hmm. in the first. And, and at least, what's his face actually wants to fuck Nova. And at no point of this movie do I think Mark Wahlberg wants to fuck this woman, even when they kiss. Do they kiss? See, I don't even remember that. They I, they kiss I, at the I, ends, right? But, but like when she says, "Will you st- will you come back?" and he just like Mark Wahl just looks at her, uh, and that they then kiss. The movie is like trying to, in a way, set up like romance between you know uh, Mark Wahlberg's character and her, and I feel like also mm-hmm. between Mark Wahlberg's character and Helena Bonham Carter's character. But the movie's mm-hmm. already established that he's in love with the chimp <laughs> that he goes out to save. So it's like wasting everyone's time with all mm-hmm. these false romances. I, and, it's just—it's very confusing. And, and I, I kind of liked that they're going back to the source material because they're weird. There was that weird thing where the female ape in the original movies was kind of into him. It's like that he's like that she asked for like a kiss and stuff, but then he goes like, "Ew, never mind." So like I kind of liked that, but like you just didn't do anything with it. Yeah. One one last casting that I'll make is Chris Christopherson's in this movie <laughs> as uh, a human who is imprisoned and then dies. Hey, it's the dad uh, who gets destroyed by the ape, but yeah. Yeah. I saw I saw his name pop up in the opening credits. I'm like, this movie has a weird cast. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, five Academy Award nominees, though. That's or five or four, four. No, five. It, it was mostly for the it. costumes, right? No, no. I'm saying that the actors were not not for this movie. I'm saying that there are gotcha, five just Academy Award nominated actors in this movie. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Did Mark Wahlberg win for The Fighter? He was not even nominated for The Fighter. He was nominated for The Departed. Um, yeah, as he should be. Yeah. Melissa Leo and Christian Bale won for The Fighter. 
You got Tim Roth for Rob Roy, Helena mm-hmm. Bonham Carter for Wings of the Dove and The King's Speech and probably some other stuff, Michael Clark Duncan for The Green Mile, and Paul Giamatti for Cinderella Man. Mm. Or Cinderella Man or Ollie, one of those two. He's in Cinderella Man. <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, we, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Charlton Heston, who I think is probably in the best mm-hmm. scene of the movie, <laughs> ironically enough. Yeah. He plays Zaius. Uh, I don't know if anyone caught that. Because I don't know if they mentioned his name, but they, he plays Zaius in the movie. Um, and he's Tim Roth's Dr. Zaius, dad. Dr. Zaius. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't catch that that was his name initially either. I also didn't catch that it was Charlton Heston until I looked it up. And also he would be the sixth Academy <laughs> not even Not even the part where he's like, damn them. Damn them all to hell. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that yeah. At that point, I kind of was clued into it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that actually is a pretty good scene. Um, that was like when I started to get interested because they start talking about like the mm-hmm. lore right. of like the movie, yeah. and it's like, oh, this ape, uh, shoot, what was the ape's name? Simos, and they like talk about mm-hmm. the origin and like, oh, this is starting to get interesting, and then it quickly loses steam like five to ten mm-hmm. minutes later. Yeah. Um, d- did you feel the same way, Chris? Yeah, that that was like any time you were focusing on. Uh, Oh, what's his face? Uh, dang it, I'm going crazy. What, what's the, the general's name? Fade. 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 Anytime you're focusing on Fade, uh, and you're, you're right, Mike, that, like, it, it's, I, I was, because it was Tim Roth, and he's such a good actor, and they were giving him so many interesting things to do, I was always interested, but he was always 10% too angry at any given time, that, like, e- even when he is trying to persuade what's her face to sleep with him he's still deeply angry about it it's like come on man you're you're like a politician and like uh a thing you got to be able to turn this off at least for like a, a few sentences before she turns you down again and then you turn it back up to 100 percent, like over 110 um i i really enjoyed that scene as well because like and then even the scene after that where he's hopping around and the hopping doesn't look good, but then he talks to his friend and is like, hey, I'm so sorry, like I lost my dad. Like, And I was like, oh, okay, we're getting back into this maybe. Like, maybe this is a three-dimensional character. And then like, no. Did anyone else think when they got to the ship and then they play the video message and it's... Um, uh, old old commander. Yeah, it's uh, old, old Anne Ramsey. And her message is like, we had the apes, and the one apes got angry, and you, like, hear them, like, all shouting in the back. It's like, we need help. We're in danger for all these apes. I thought that was hilarious. Just, like... The the fact that she... The the only recording they have is of her explaining things and then dying. Yeah, that's a little fucked up. Well, every second she's about to die. I I also thought it was funny at the very beginning when it's like, "We're, we're receiving every transmission from Earth, like, ever... And um, the two two images that were well, one image that that very probably showed up was like of Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, did it was... they even like broadcast like I know they had like film reels of him, but like did they broadcast uh-huh. images of Hitler back in the day? <laughs> like I, that that yeah, feels a little like, anachronistic. The but. TV waves. Yeah, but like to be, to be fair, that that wasn't actually from World War Two. That was just the History Channel, okay. which is mostly images of Hitler. That makes sense. And then the, the <laughs> other video message thing I, I allude to at the beginning is like. 
I guess just to, to try and give Mark Wahlberg's character like some modicum yeah. of a backstory. Yeah. They, yeah. He gets like a video message from back home and it's like all of his friends being like, hey. Oh, it's, that was th- Thank you for letting me stay in my apartment. Like it was the most 2000s thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. That like, yeah, you're like, you're, like you were saying, Mike, that they're like all in swimsuits except for the one thick black guy who is in like a, like a, yeah. like a button they had, up. They had G. McBride and it's like, is he his friend? Is he his old football <laughs> coach? What's going on here? You're like, oh, they're all in swimsuits. Are are we sure they were all in swimsuits, or was it just that one guy who was shirtless who had gotten engaged? Because I like, I think he was the only shirtless guy. Like, I the the fiance was at least in like that weird like could be it could be a swimsuit, could be like just standing around on a nice beach leisure wear. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> They're all in like incredibly bright colors, and like yeah, like the uh, the that actor was like, oh well, don't come home too soon. I love your apartment. It's like I said, what? Okay, I guess this is a save the cat moment for him. The save the cat is when he tries to go save Pericles, I think. Um, Yeah, it was just that was so dumb. I completely forgot about that. (laughs) What? It, it's such a it's, it's like, such an interesting combination of he oh, sorry sorry that um he, he seems to care about the ape like at every moment he's giving him affection but at every action he's being an absolute asshole to him like the the like the not the the two hands neither with a treat like what was that supposed to be <laughs> like I'm, I'm training him or something <laughs> was there anything about like the the ending battle that anyone liked or were you just trying to get through it let me think. I thought using the 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 launch, like sequence as as the weapon, that was kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it it gave me. Oh, sorry, go for it. I you didn't really understand. And part of this was just because it was like late and I was kind of checked out. But it's like I didn't really understand what was happening, like in the interior with Pericles and Fade. Like I didn't fully. It's just like a couple things. It's like one. It's like I didn't really understand like why like I thought like it seemed like Pericles may have been like shot at one point, um, and was dying, but apparently it's not the case. And also like when when they pull that little trick and and they they trap Fade behind the glass and he just keeps shooting at it, like one of those bulls <laughs> has got to hit him eventually, right? Like, that's, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought was gonna happen. Yeah, it's not very interesting. <laughs> no, he's really trapped I, the, in the cage. He, no. Well, and, and like let's let's go to the real final battle, or like that that I hope, which would be oh sorry, are you okay? <laughs> no, uh, I'm just in pain because it's just like this movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. The, the, it, it, the final battle was so close to being good, like that, like that, like you're saying, like that, like that you have that, and that like he he even has the line that's like, uh, this oh well, Fade's never gonna stop coming after you. It's like that's what I'm counting on. But then the actual battle, he doesn't. I guess it's the kid we don't give a shit about, but has been with us the whole movie, goes out and does stuff. So that means he has to set off the the uh, the the f- fuel early, and he was trying to set that off at Fade, um, uh, and so that he wasn't able to do that, maybe. But then the whole battle goes off, and they're only saved by Deus Ex Machina Monkey. Um and it's just out of nowhere. When it could, it would have been so much nicer is if the monkey lands before the battle, and like he has to like, like the fact that this monkey, as we all pointed out, that he loves, like he has to use him as like a tool in this game or something like that. Like that would have been so much more interesting. But that would have required 
um, Marky Mark to actually be a character and like actually have thoughts. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. I'm just I was just gonna say the climax of this movie is like deliberately written to be anticlimactic. Um, <laughs> no, are, are you saying that the the villain being uh, beaten by a glass door is it climactic? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like now that we're th- it's, I'm thinking about it, yeah. it's like deliberately meant to be like. I mean, like they set up like cages, and like he's trapped in a mm-hmm. cage, and he like reverts to like a monkey state, where he's like, mm-hmm. at the end, then it's, it's like it's it's Chekhov's glass door. Come on, Lewis, this is classic writing. The, the the real <laughs> villain of this movie is the writers who took every opportunity to make this as uninteresting as possible. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, we've talked about the fat past, uh, you know, the original five movies, and they, all of them mm-hmm. they seem pretty clearly to have like a point, some sort of thematic political resonance that related to the time some timeless messages that carry over to today like what is this movie about like i was watching it and i'm like what message am i supposed to be getting is is there anything there did you guys come up with anything do you remember the line which you shouldn't where marky mark is talking about the monkeys left on earth how they're in cages yeah, well, and that, those are the well, only well, monkeys he, left on Earth because talks, we. Yeah, he talks about how um, the like basically deforestation. It's like they're they're all. He basically implies that they're in, extinct in the wild. Yeah. yeah, the only ones left are the ones in cages, mm-hmm. um, and so I guess that instead of it being nuclear war, it's just that we we kill all the apes that way. But the idea that we, if if in this world. We only have a handful of apes left, and we sent six dozen of them into space to be genetically manipulated. That's fucking horrific. Like, that's one of the worst things I could ever imagine. Well, you say, like, the point, like, it, the, the problem is that it is a mishmash of, like, sort of, like, obvious themes that are so obvious they never actually develop into anything meaningful, where it's, like... Mm-hmm. There's obviously, like, allusions to slavery and, like, to sort of, like, animal cruelty and stuff, but it never actually comes together into something sort of, like, clear. Um, Mm -hmm. And it feels like, like, so there were three other directors who were, like, like, this had been in development hell for a while, and there were Mm -hmm. three other directors who were, like, attached to it um, Mm -hmm. at one point or another, and they are Oliver Stone, Chris Columbus, and James Cameron. And it's like, mm. it's like, well, I feel like you get kind of like the class and slavery thing from Oliver Stone. You get the environmentalism from Chris, Cam- uh, from, from Chris Cameron, from James Cameron. And then mm. I guess you get the children from Chris Columbus. I don't really know. But um, it just felt like... It I just, love children in this. It just, felt like, it, it just felt like there were so many cooks in the kitchen with this movie that there was no way anything other than like building a shell of a plot with which to... Uh, fill in with a bunch of production design like that's that's the highest the highest uh, meaning this movie could possibly have uh, I, I think the culmination of this movie is the final shot of this movie which is him getting arrested at the ape Lincoln Memorial and you have so many questions of was there an ape civil war um, like, did, why did a, why did the apes remake Washington D.C. to the same extent where you have the Lincoln Memorial but an ape format? Like, like, there's so many questions, but that you could really just tell is like, 
oh, sure, there's a lot of questions, but me, I just wanted this cool shot. So we're just going to have this cool shot. And that's this movie in a nutshell. Of like, why? Because I wanted the cool shot. That's why. I do want to know what, like, because I, I knew this ending was coming. I've heard about it. Mm-hmm. But I do want to know, like, initially, <laughs> like, people that saw this back in the day, like, what did they think? Because it is just like, what the heck? And then you're just supposed to leave the theater? <laughs> what? I. It says, well, but, it's. Yeah. It's. it's it, I guess it sets it up for a sequel that was never made. But, like, also, it's just like. Mm-hmm. It, it really just muddled because it's like yeah. so there's like two things going on right it's like one mm-hmm. it's like the ending of the original Planet of the Apes is like one of the greatest movie endings of all time mm-hmm. and it is such a stark and disturbing ending for what you know it could have been just kind of like a, a silly science fiction movie mm-hmm. um, but but even even the ending of the first film the that moment isn't the final shot that you have like a little bit of like him and them going off together into the wilderness there's like a little bit of optimism like, uh, right? No, no, no. No? No. It ends with him. Am I, like, oh, am I remembering the beginning of the second movie? Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, but, but like, but, but what Mike's saying is that it's like, there was like a point to that ending. Yeah. And it was kind of like yeah. set up the entire movie. It didn't yeah. just like come out of nowhere. It wasn't like <laughs> Charlton Heston is like beating up apes left and right and like throwing them into lava pits. And then suddenly there's like a poignant ending. Yeah. It's like this was set up with like dialogue yeah. and like foreshadowing, yeah. and it was like the point of the film. This, it's just like what? <laughs> it just comes out of left field. <laughs> well, and the thing is too, it's like so like it's a great ending too because it's like you know it doesn't explicitly say like this is Earth and we blew it up with nuclear bombs. It's like mm-hmm. you're able to intuit that for what happens. Like if you're seeing mm-hmm. that in the theater, you come out walking out, you're talking for the people you want to see it with. It's really effective. Whereas this is just like, if I saw this in the theater, I'm walking out with like you two. It's like, okay, so was he on Earth? Like, was it an alternate Earth he was on? Like, is the planet he was on for most of the movie and the one with the Abe Lincoln, Ape Lincoln Memorial, is that <laughs> the same planet? Yeah. Like, it, it ultimately, it's like a space whale, Aesop, where it's just like the, the like the Charles Nestor movie, like teaches you a lesson about like humanity and like maybe we can change our ways. This, it's just like, okay. Okay, next time I travel in time to a planet, I'll make sure that I travel to a, the correct dimension instead of the dimension where the general that I defeated went back in time earlier. It's like, this is a lesson that none of us can employ in our <laughs> lives. Did, did he go back earlier, or was it just that uh, oh Atar played by Michael... Are you stupid? How could you not understand what happened in this movie? <laughs> Obviously, the general used the time machine that he got from somewhere, you know, think about it, Chris, and then he used that to go back earlier, you know, to, you know, become president during the Civil War, and then like, all this <laughs> stuff happened, okay? See, Do I, have I, to spell I, I don't. For you? I, I thought it was even sadder than that, which is just like, so they trapped him and they didn't kill him, and sure, uh, Atar was saying, well, there will be equality between the humans and the apes. But that my thinking was he went he fucked so the human fucked off, and the other apes arrive like what the fuck happened and then the general just takes back in charge like murder the humans it's our time now dictatorship for all and like that he then just gets remembered like Caesar uh, and then time marches on, um, which I don't know is it incredibly bleak ending. <laughs> so, I think so I, I found two great quotes on on the Wikipedia page. 
One is mm-hmm. Tim Burton, when he was asked if he would make a sequel to this movie, he said, I'd rather jump out a window. And <laughs> the other is that, like, <laughs> Paul Giamatti's like, oh, yeah, I'd totally be back for a sequel. And- <laughs> but, but, Delightful. So, so this is his exact quote about the sequel. He goes, I think it'd be great to have apes driving cars, smoking cigars, wearing glasses, sitting in a boardroom, stuff like that. So I guess that's as far as they like got the the thing about the sequel is just like apes, but in but doing human things. Oh no! To be fair, this, this is what Paul Giamatti hoped would happen because he would chew that scenery like a motherfucker. Like, I, if there's any part of this, I would like to see a Better Call Saul version of this in which. He, his, like, great-great-great ancestor is, like, a stockbroker or something, and is just, like, chewing up the scenery in just a regular-ass ape world. You're just watching Billions, and then you push the angle button on your DVD remote, and it switches to, like, they're all apes. <laughs> like an ape overlay. Delightful. Um, yeah. So, that, that is the ending. Ultimately, there is, there's no point hidden at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the apes will win and we're fucked. Exactly. So, you know, if you fall in love with a chimp, don't go after it when it flies off from your space station. Fun fun trivia fact, guys. We'll play a we'll play a quick trivia question that's worth ten points. So uh, you know if you answer oh correctly get ten points. Um okay. the ape. Uh Pericles was played by a twin apes, Jacob and Jonah. Does anyone want to guess? Because we talked about this earlier in an earlier episode. How old okay. these twin apes were when they were in this movie? Can you tell the age of this ape? One and a half. Because they have to be really young, because otherwise eventually they like they become actual wild animals. Alright, Chris said one and a half. Mike, what do you what do you have to say? Over I'll, under. I'll, I'll prices write him and say two. Oh. Okay. Well the correct answer is five. Five years uh, old. Ah Jesus. I and I, I gotta. They were they were twin apes. You know they were born in 1996. They retired at the the grand old age of eight years old. And uh, Jonah the ape actually passed away last year. Oh. And be Jonah. Yeah. See, I, I I have no frame of reference for for how old apes usually live. So. That's that's why I'm bringing it yeah. up. You know we're doing a service. We're actually teaching something here instead of. <laughs> it's. <laughs> you, we had to watch this terrible movie you had to listen to us talk about it but at least you're coming out with some ape facts yeah we care about monkeys here mm-hmm. if you want to learn more about chimpanzees you can watch Jordan Peele's Nope <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a chimpanzee li- lives to 39 years of age on average you know one of the uh, co- uh, hosts of the uh, Today Show back in the day, J. Fred Muggs, who was a chimpanzee, <laughs> is still alive and is over seventy years old. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. He said, "He said I'll 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 outlive that bastard Cronkite if it's the last thing I'll do." And <laughs> so um. Guys, uh, let's let's go around the room and you know plug plug some stuff. And if if you can think of better movies that star the same people that were in this movie, why don't you recommend those as well? Um, I'll I'll start. Uh, you can find my work on thepostwriter.com on the writing. Uh, you can listen to Lewis and I's podcast, uh, Fortress of an Aptitude, which is part of the the, the Pony Express feed. Um, 
also have lots of other podcasts on the postgraduate.com where you can find all these podcasts both on that website and wherever else you find podcasts um I mean, T- Tim Roth in, in Reservoir Dogs. I saw the movie when I was 18. I was like, Tim Roth is the coolest anybody has ever looked. Ever. So I, I would recommend... He's like shot in the gut the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, no, but the, the, the part where he's like being trained how to infiltrate the gang. I was like, okay. this is a cool guy, so I would recommend you watch Reservoir Dogs instead of this movie. Uh, I'm, I'm Chris Jobin, also of The Post Rider. Um, look for some of the movies and television uh post that I'll be editing and, and putting up in the near future. Um, uh, and then I would like to recommend Sideways, where Paul Giamatti uh, becomes a sex symbol. So, yep, I'm Lewis Ryan, also with thepostwriter.com. What a weird coincidence. Um, Mike <laughs> already mentioned the Fortress of Neptitude series, where we cover really forgotten comic book movies. I recommend checking that out. Please email us desperately if you have any questions or comments. If you're a big fan of this movie, if you watch it every week, and you're like, I love Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. I gotta watch it, you know, when I see it and I see it on flip through the channels and I see it on TNT, I've gotta stay through the whole thing, you know. When it starts and Mark Wahlberg's talking to that animal, it's like, oh, I gotta see, I gotta watch it. It's like Goodfellas to me. Um, I gotta check it out. If you're a big fan, please email us. I'd re- we'd really like to hear from your perspective, you know, if your institution sends out email and stuff, please um, <laughs> do that. Uh, contact at thepostwriter.com is the email. Please send us. You know, we'd, we'd like to be drowning in email. And as for me, I'll recommend another Paul Giamatti vehicle, uh, the great classic film Big Fat Liar uh, that he made <laughs> nice. soon after this, where he, he traded in his orange orangutan costume for blue body paint. And wonderful film that could only be improved if he was a giant orangutan. Um, God. <laughs> a film that's shockingly has no sequel no no direct-to-v sequel no direct-to-video sequel either um stands on its own um i'm sure but, uh, i'm sure amanda Bynes said never <laughs> well they they were there was talks of the sequel anyway we're getting too caught up in big fat liar talk here <laughs> um that's for another podcast to do next week next time sorry i, I said next week but uh, we'll be we'll be covering this next year. We'll be covering uh, <laughs> Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the uh, okay. other reboot of the series that they made. Actually, I did want to mention that this film was actually a financial success. Mm-hmm. Tim Burton's version. It was huge. It was actually the ninth highest grossing movie of the year. Which, wow. when Mike and I have talked about previous movies, that's exactly along where like Superman Returns and The Dark Knight fell in their respective years. Wow. Like eight or ninth. So it's like it is kind of crazy that there was no follow up to this, just in a purely financial sense. But uh, I'm glad they didn't mm-hmm. make one. But next time we'll be covering Rise of the Planet of the Apes, a film which holds up tremendously, starring James Franco. <laughs> and I can't wait to get into it because it's, it's kickoff of a whole brand new trilogy, and uh, we're all excited to talk about it. So tune in next time where we'll be covering that film. See you later. If you're a fan of the Post Riders articles, podcasts, and projects, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. It's a once-a-week digest of everything we've worked on, 
what the site is up to, and other things we'd recommend each Monday. We don't believe in subjecting you to daily annoying emails, but we do believe in keeping our most passionate and loyal supporters in the loop on what we've been up to. We know how inconvenient and annoying it is to have your inbox flooded with constant reminders and useless material. That's why we run a curated weekly newsletter that gives you a once a week scoop. New subscribers help us know how many people are reading and listening to our work and want to hear more from us. So go to thepostwriter.com newsletter to sign up now.